0: Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill Ya, Food Industry Insight, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer, On the phone today with me is Hank Cardello. Hank is a former food industry executive turned author, guest speaker, and food industry advisor. He is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, a uh, nonpartisan, not-profit think tank. He directs its obesity solutions initiative. He is the author of Stuffed, an insider's look at who's really making us fat, and the landmark report, which I believe was just released, Better For You Foods, It's Just Good Business, and Lower Calorie Foods, It's Just good business. With three decades as an executive for SunKissed, Canada Dry, Coca-Cola, Anheuser-Busch, and General Mills under his belt in high positions of authority, um, Hank is definitely the right guy to be talking to about how the food industry responds, especially to uh, all the charges about calories, etc. And more recently... Hank was co chair of the Global Obesity Forum sponsored by uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Welcome to the program, Hank. I really appreciate you joining me today. It's great. Well,
2: hi, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I can tell you're going to be just a rock star of a guest because you know the insides and outsides of what (laughs) I think people in my, um, sort of on my side of the progressive food movement think of as kind of the Antichrist. So you really, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is true. It's like, I mean, when we were talking on the phone earlier about how polarized the two sides are, it's like, It really does come down to like uh, you know the cattle industry referring to humane society as terrorists and 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 people like me referring to you know guys at General Mills as you know the antichrist. So uh, you you can see how the rhetoric has gotten really jacked up around here. Um, But anyway, we wanted to talk about um, first of all the um, the study that you published. The lower calorie foods is just good business uh, at the Hudson Institute. Tell us about that study and what were you looking for specifically when you uh, launched that.
2: Well, specifically to address the polarization that was not uh, revealing any progress as far as addressing obesity, uh, instead of people digging in, we asked the question, well, is there a business reason why companies, in this case, restaurant Mm chains, should ever change their behaviors? Should they even get behind selling lower calorie or better for you products? So that's what we set out to prove. And, uh, it turns out that, guess what? Those companies or those restaurant chains that were selling, uh, their lower calorie products were growing. Uh, we're reaping better rewards. They had more customer traffic, and they had more servings, and they were just performing better.
1: Amazing. Now you analyzed twenty-one, uh, you know, common restaurant chains. Um, give us a few names, like the Darden Group. Um, I don't think most people know what Darden is, but like, what are those restaurants? That's yeah. Uh, we had
2: two kinds of groups in there. We had the uh, the well-known what we call quick service restaurants: mm-hmm. uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, those kind of chains. Chick right. fil A. Uh, Taco Bell, and then we also had uh, the larger sit-down chains. And again, Darden is uh, an unknown word, but uh, they own Red Lobster and right. Olive Garden. And we looked at Applebee's, Applebee's and IHOP, yeah. etc. So we really captured the big guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I should have asked you to provide me with some sort of sense of what their sales are annually, just to give people a sense of the scope. But I think most people recognize how big. A player any one of those restaurants is in and of just by themselves um so when you analyze the 21 restaurant chains what was the most surprising finding was it that they were making more money on low calorie uh items or that they had introduced more and more of them to their menus with greater success or
2: actually the biggest surprise was how poorly the more traditional higher calorie products performed over the last five years
1: fascinating like you mentioned Uh, french fries a lot which i thought was interesting (laughs) I'm sorry? Sorry, you mentioned French fries a lot in the report, which I read. Um, And and I thought that was fascinating, that that was one of the things that had really plummeted in sales.
2: Yeah, we actually looked at the the largest uh, purveyors of French fries. Those were French fries actually make up over 20% of their sales. Mm -hmm. And we found that, uh, first of all, overall, they were selling uh, like more than 5 billion servings of French fries. And we noticed over five years that, uh, the number of servings declined by about 50 million just across four or five chains. So that's wow. a big deal. It's a big deal because they're highly profitable items. So yeah. you have to pay attention to it. You can't ignore it. It's really a place where they, they make their money on fries and the beverages, uh, less so on the more standard fare like the burgers.
1: Sure. I mean, things like um, you know soda and fries are, are many times cheaper than a pound of meat. However, yeah, I mean, however it's, much it's been adulterated with uh, with pink slime, for instance, before that scandal broke. I mean, <laughs> you know, after all, it's hard to say how much of um, any given burger at Burger King or whatever was adulterated with pink slime. But it could have been as much as 50 or 60 percent, I would imagine. And that stuff is pennies on the dollar. So and now they have to pay for it. Cause now well, they have re- they what, have to what we do meat. is
2: we look we accept the fact that this is what these guys make. Mm-hmm. And if you're really looking at the problem, I mean, uh, we focus on reversing obesity rates. Right. And that's a caloric issue. So if you start from the fact, whether you like it or not, that they sell processed foods or or manufactured foods, if you would, what we're trying to do is get them to sell fewer calories. Mm-hmm. And guess what? If we're successful doing that, a funny thing happens. Things like saturated fats and high fructose corn syrup automatically come down because that's the way they do this.
1: Yeah right that 's the only way that they can do it really is to remove things like uh, like trans fats and highly saturated fats from their from their pr- product mix yeah, exactly yeah. now um, there was something else I wanted to ask you about related to this and now I'm, I'm forgetting it so we'll just move on It's um. but in another recent piece and this goes back to that whole sort of issue of activism um, You you uh, here's a quote from one of the pieces that you re- wrote it's as we've learned from a hundred years of activist versus industry wars when one side is demonized progress can come to a halt so when we talk about that progress coming to a halt to go back to your initial remarks what kind of common ground do you think will be found between activists and progressive food advocates versus the industry because given that they want to get rid a- of these industries, you know, like they would like to see McDonald's go away. That's what I think a lot of industry believes is their agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to get them to the table to talk to people like McDonald's or, you know, Taco Bell or whatever, and and get them to recognize that consumers actually really do want these products, and yet, um, you know, what is it, What is it that's going to make the activist health happy?
2: Well, uh, my point of view is very simple. I don't look for common ground. Uh, I think it's been unsuccessful. And what I prefer to do is focus on, since the industry, when you look at the restaurant and the grocery trade and the packaged goods companies and they're selling a trillion and a quarter dollars' worth of products every yeah. year, yeah, they're the ones, to me, that could make the biggest impact here. Uh-huh. So instead of worrying about kumbaya sessions between industry and activists, <laughs> knowing, knowing that those are going to be very unfruitful, Uh, in the most general case, say, all right, guys, you need to be paying more attention to better-for-you products, lower-calorie products, because that's where the growth is. And you know what? If you don't do this, you're leaving money on the table, and you're not making Wall Street or your investors very happy. And that's a higher calling to them than it is to activists beating on them.
1: Oh, no question about it. I mean, who does not respond to money? (laughs) As opposed to well, and that's what they're kept. set
2: up to do. They're corporations. So the yes. point is understand what they're trying to do and then show them the right path that's also good for them.
1: Right. That's right. I mean, I, I have to say I do agree with that. So when we talk about changing products to be healthier, are we just addressing the calorie count or would you, for instance... Swap out some kinds of ingredients, uh, like partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, for some other kind of oil that has a lower calorie count or is better for you. And what yeah, about portion sizes? How do you get them? How do you get Americans to buy into the idea of portion sizes being smaller? <laughs> well, that's, that's, <laughs> I love the uh, way That's a loaded
2: it. question. That's yeah. a high portion size question. The first uh, part of it, looking at uh, what do we do? Do we focus more on healthier ingredients, things like that? Uh, Again, if you're fixing or trying to reverse obesity rates, you really have to think about calories. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm big on focusing on showing companies that they need to reduce what we call their calorie footprint. Mm -hmm. And a calorie footprint is the number of calories they sell per person who comes to their restaurant chain, in the case of restaurants. right. And we're planning on starting to track that. And this way you have a report card and say, okay, well, if you say you're improving your menus, here's a way to track it. And again, what happens is if you focus on the calories, the only way they could be reducing their calories is through lowering, again, saturated fats and sugars and mm-hmm. things like that. Where the argument gets into trouble is uh, from an activist perspective, many want the perfect food all the time. Right. And if it's not perfect, therefore it's unacceptable, therefore we need to try to ban it. And, again, if the name on the building says Coca-Cola or McDonald's, that's not going to be a great argument to make a change. Yes. Uh, it just perpetuates the debate on that. So, again, I think swapping out, uh, you have to swap out for partially hydrogenated vegetables because they are loaded with trans fats. And, actually, that's happening now. That, that's happening across the restaurant and the food companies. I think there are huge opportunities to lower saturated fats and the amount of sugars. But again, if you focus more on calories instead of micromanaging each individual product these people sell, you're going to make a lot more progress.
1: Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. What about labeling? I mean, we didn't I, we didn't really talk about that, but it seems to me that, I mean, there's so much controversy about how products are labeled now in terms of being low-calorie, low-fat, good-for-you, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, people are kind of oversaturated with that sort of information, and I, I wonder how um, companies will be able to distinguish uh, their products from other products that make perhaps maybe similar or the same claims but aren't actually really doing the do. Well,
2: here's here's... An interesting finding from a separate piece of research we've been working on, and that is if you break consumers down into Mm sub-segments, and we've learned there's five sub-segments of consumers, the ones that push for calorie labeling and more information, et cetera, they comprise about 17% of the population. Wow. So the next question is, let's meet your neighbors across mm-hmm. the country, mm-hmm. the other 83%. And you can see that the desire to get caloric information or reading labels and all, it starts falling off the cliff. Yes. And by the time you get to a segment known as the Eat, Drink, and Be Merry,"s <laughs> they're, like they're, they're the Second Amendment writers of food. It's like, yeah. leave my monster-thick burger alone, get That's lost, right. this is what I eat, see ya. Yes. And so what happens is oftentimes we speak to ourselves about, again, labeling and making sure the consumer has perfect information because the majority don't
0: care. Yeah,
1: I think that's a fascinating statistic, 83%. I mean, that really does tell you something very significant, first of all, about how we got so fat and also why it's going to be up to the food companies. And I think that's your premise, that it's really up to the food companies to do what they can do to reduce the calorie load as opposed to expecting consumers to suddenly get hip to looking at labels and deciding, well, I only want 2,000 calories today. I'm going to do this.
2: Yeah, you're asking people to change their their spots, so to speak.
1: Yes. But you're also asking corporations to change their spots. And and I wonder how, um, you know, how much is it going to cost them to do it? Like some corporations, when you produce fast food of some sort, you know, there's a production line all your purchasing is in place, you've gotten the the lowest, you know, costs on various products, et cetera. And then, and then suddenly you're changing that up. and, And maybe that means you're changing the process somewhat, or you have to retrain your workers. I mean, what kind of capital costs does it involve to actually do what you're suggesting companies do, which is add more healthy items to their menus, reduce the calorie count on ones that exist already?
2: Well, I, I prefer to answer that using examples. I mean, okay. on, a, on a consumer side, companies like General Mills and Dannon have adopted a healthier menu or a healthier product portfolio. Mm-hmm. And they've, General Mills in particular is pulling out uh, trans fats and saturated fats and increasing the fiber, et cetera, and whole grains. And compared to their peers, they have the highest operating profits over the last five years.
1: But how are so, they doing that without spending more money on ingredients? No, nah, Well, what, it's not only
2: ingredients. See, that's the myth. Okay. The myth is healthy ingredients cost more, and they won't be able to sell these products. That's hogwash. In some <laughs> cases, it, it does apply, but in most cases, as General Mills has proven, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. And, again, uh, in the restaurant side, you can see what's going on. There's not as much activity on the restaurant side, I must say. Hmm. But you see, even a cheesecake factory has a menu called the Skinny-licious menu. Right. And so what happens is they put a calorie cap on these products, but they're regular foods. In other words, they're not uh, tofu, if you would. It's avocado, wraps, and whatever, but they're under a certain caloric limit, and what they do is they, uh, they don't charge as much, but if you want to look at the cost per ounce, it's a little higher. So they're happy with that. The consumer gets less calories. Win-win.
1: Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of what it was I wanted to ask you before, which is that um, when people are um – Oh, God, it just went out of my head again. Never mind. You know what? We're going to take a short break right now. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Hank. Um, but I do have like a really, it's like a thick question and I can't quite formulate it right, but I will be right back with you. Uh, Hank Cardello from the uh, Hudson Institute and a longtime advocate for obesity uh, reduction in the United States. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Hank. And uh, right now, thanks for our sponsor, Kane Vineyard.
0: No replacement. more dead stars on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org This is Chris Howell from Kane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to the show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit kane 5com
1: We're back. This is What Doesn't Kill You on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. On the line with me is Hank Cardello. He is a senior fellow for the Hudson, Insti- uh, Hudson Institute and, um... A longtime advocate for, uh, and also the author of Stuffed, What's Really Making Us Fat. I think people should uh, pay attention to that. Um, so, uh, Hank, I cannot remember the damn question I wanted to ask you, so I'm going to move on. I, I I don't know why I can't, like, formulate this, but you're going to come back because we're going to talk again. Um, you mentioned in one of the things that I read, working with Michelle Obama and others on engaging food industry in talks for more healthy choices. Can you talk a little bit about those, um, those discussions that you had? And do you think Michelle Obama has done as much as she possibly can to push that, ent- that uh, conversation forward?
2: Well, the First Lady is the uh, uh, chairperson for the Partnership for a Healthier America. right? And I really think she has created a high level of awareness uh, behind this problem of obesity. I would say the combination of the First Lady and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, those two uh, groups, if you would, have really elevated the level of conversation. So I have to give her kudos for doing that. And, And one of the things that they're looking to do is they get companies to come in and not only highlight the things they've done to improve their products, but also to extract commitments out of these companies going forward to say, okay, over the next three or four or five years, what will you do? What will you do, for instance, you mentioned Darden Restaurants, Uh and they've committed, for instance, to improve their offerings for children, all right, looking at uh, maximizing the calories and pulling out saturated fats, things like that. So I have to give credit there.
1: I, I think she's been great. I mean, I and what I particularly liked uh, when I was reading through your literature is that she has gone a long way to address industry rather than sort of taking the easy way out and just kind of demonizing industry and saying, well, you should all eat. You know, it's like Nancy Reagan saying, just say no to drugs. Like, yeah, right. You know? <laughs> you know, Michelle Obama, if she told kids, you know, just say no to French fries. Yeah, that's going to happen. You know, you really do have to engage corporate America or corporate food in this battle. And I think that's what's so interesting about your story and the articles that you write for Forbes and for Atlantic and so forth. Um, And one of the things that you have brought up, which I thought was very interesting, is the idea of using tax incentives to encourage industry to change its ways in terms of like um, offering them an incentive if their calorie counts are lower than they get XYZs. Can you Uh, flesh that concept out for me a little bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, I like uh, like tax incentives uh, or tax credits, if you would, Uh for selling healthier products. I think that's one that's going to be problematic in the execution and the implementation, (laughs) just because there's so much resistance to that. Uh, there are uh, credits on the book, for instance, for food companies, uh, for innovation, new packaging, new ingredient exploration, things like that. And the one way you could do is take an existing tax credit on the books and say, all right, you don't get the credit unless your products are healthier and they meet a certain criteria. So that's one way to go with it. However, I do think what we've been talking about earlier in our conversation, and that is... Uh, getting companies to see that it's in their enlightened, selfish interest to more aggressively market lower calorie and better for your products, that's a better pathway to go because, again, they're beholden to Wall Street and their investors. Yes. And I would charge that if you don't do this, you're leaving money on the table and I'm not going to invest in your company anymore.
1: Right. I think that's a great sales pitch for that concept. And I was going to say, I mean, you know, changing the tax code so that companies get, you know, uh, taxpayer money for doing something that they most people probably feel they should already have been doing mm-hmm. um is definitely not going to play well uh with the you know <laughs> with the general public, whether you're <laughs> counting calories or not you know what I mean it's like corporate giveaways have have been uh you know amply demonstrated in the last ten years and certainly since the crash, so I think people feel pretty strongly about that um I finally figured out what it was I wanted to ask you about, which was a lot of these companies, and I read this i'm actually i 'm trying struggling to remember where I read this, but uh, basically it was it was a piece either in The Times or the Post, the Huffington Post, or something like that where it was suggested that uh, companies like mcdonald 's or you know any of these big guys who put on those um, You know, healthier choices on their menus. That they're doing this not because they actually believe in healthier choices, but because it's actually sort of a cynical play to get people into the restaurant. This would probably particularly apply to something like an Applebee's or, or uh, you know, one of the other sit-down restaurants um, where they, you know, they have more sort of quote-unquote healthy choices on the menu, which leads people to believe that they're going to have a healthier experience overall. Meanwhile, everything else is status quo. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like uh, you know, it's been suggested that this is a bit of of a cynical ploy to exploit people's fears about food, and meanwhile they're going to serve them the same stuff. How, how do you respond to that?
2: Well, I think in some cases that might be the uh, the case where just adding these items. But again, what what happens is they talk about in the restaurant business, for instance, the veto vote. Yeah. In other words, they're losing a lot of customers. Whereas, let's say someone wants to come in and they want to eat their hamburgers and fries. Mm-hmm. And one in the party says, no, I don't want it. I, I want a salad or I want something better. Mm-hmm. And that person vetoes the visit, and they go someplace else. So This played out business, in my house right last reason. night. Yeah. <laughs> so there's business reason for that. And number two, again, is what they're finding out is, again, based on our data, the growth is coming from these items. So mm-hmm. quote me. They're stupid if they don't do it.
1: <laughs> I am so, going to quote you because I think I'm going to write a about p- me on that because
2: realistically this. they're leaving money on the table.
1: Yeah, and from your point of view as somebody who's worked in all of these big companies, you know that that's really what it's all about. Yeah. So, so people what we have here is where we get
2: alignment. The alignment to your very first question, it's not kumbaya an agreement mm-hmm. with activists because because that day may never come. Right. But where the alignment is that by making your products healthier for consumers, lower calorie, addressing obesity issues, they're never going to wake up in the morning and saying, my purpose today is to reverse obesity. But if what they do helps reverse obesity and gets Americans to eat healthier, why do I care what their motives are as long as we get them moving in the right direction?
1: Hank, you are such a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to read to you, you suggest a path forward using these following tips, and I, I truncated these for the purposes of radio, but people, you will tell people in just a few moments where they can read the whole thing. So, for business, you say, for businesses, they should acknowledge the problem and address the role that their company may be playing in uh, you know obesity in America. For the activists, don't demonize capitalism, celebrate it, and accepting an industry's need to increase sales and make a healthy profit will make it easier to get the industry to listen to you. Yes, and For regulators, don't mandate change, demonstrate the benefits of it. So, that um, what I thought was interesting about that is that uh, it sort of ties right into the mistake that Bloomberg made. And I wanted to just talk for a second about that kind of nanny state. that a lot of people complain about when they talk about uh, either taxing soda or banning certain sizes or anything else that might relate to, uh, you know, trying to address obesity through telling people what they can and can't do. So let's talk for a second about the regulation part of it. What do you, what did you think of the of the Bloomberg initiative and why do you think it was such a disaster?
2: Well, I, I again, I'm not a big fan of regulation because it creates a win lose situation. In other words, mm-hmm. it's not. If you would, the public health advocates and industry winning it's it's an anti industry so you guarantee outcome the lobbyists yeah. everybody'll fight it and and my point in the the piece you're referencing in Forbes and that is Mayor Bloomberg is a tremendous businessman yes. i mean that 's how he he got his his wealth and from the Bloomberg network et cetera and i I think his strength could be he can take this argument that we've given them the data for everybody has now it's public and Mm -hmm. take it to wall street to the analyst and say okay guys start cramming this down everybody's throat and reminding them that it's better for their business and if they don't you're going to consider this when you recommend people to buy stock or to sell it right and and that's really the leverage he can bring. and what happens is uh... the challenge with the new york proposal besides the fact i didn't like it because it was a win-lose and that is, it had a lot of Swiss cheese to it. In other words, it only applied to restaurants and uh, Movie theaters. Like event venues, and right. you can go, still go down the street to a convenience store and get a double big gulp.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure.
2: So I, Buy yourself two
1: liters the, of soda and go crazy. <laughs> yeah. And plus the fact, again, that
2: uh, we're dealing with a situation where what is our goal? What is our goal? we're ostensibly saying we're trying to reverse obesity well if you're trying to reverse obesity just get the calories off the street in a way that the companies want to jump in feed first instead of resist you because you on the one hand you have created awareness for the problem in new york that's been accomplished i will say that on the other hand by getting a situation where the companies are against what you're doing it only protracts uh... achievement of the objective
1: Right. Yeah, because then they're going to dig their heels in. Because I think one thing that people continually overlook uh, in these debates is that the people on both sides are actually people. Yeah, they're people. <laughs> you know, they're actually people. I mean, they are personally offended uh, by some of the tactics used by either side, and you know, and for good reason. I mean, if I were attacked continuously by either regulators or by uh, activists, I would feel like, no, I'm not going to change anything. Fuck
2: you. Well, Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, one... Uh, one- <laughs> One great example to bring it alive is if anybody who watches TV in the evenings, this mm-hmm. is basically Fox versus MSNBC. Yes at night. That's the way the debate is playing out. So what happens is everyone digs in, locks into their position and the other guy has to change, otherwise he's an evildoer or whatever. Yeah. And, and again, you don't get to a solution that way. So we have to decide whether we're just out, let's say, to get industry or are we out to fix the problem. If we're out to fix the problem, let's do it in a way that everybody wins.
1: Yeah. Well, Hank, we have to wrap it up here. So I want to give you an opportunity to um, discuss or tell people about uh, the report that you published on the Hudson Institute, um, about any other things that people should know about your website where you have a really excellent blog. Um, give us all the all the details so that the rest of the world can follow. Yeah, Hank sure. Cardello. Well,
2: uh, at Hudson Institute, we have a website, www.obesity-solutions.org. dot hmm. And you can see all the articles in the Atlantic and Forbes and other points of view and what we're doing and the studies. Right. And, of course, uh, I'd welcome anybody, if they really want to dig in a little deeper and understand the mind of industry and why they do what they do, uh, they're welcome to look at my book, Stuffed, which is at StuffedNation.com. And, again, if they want to dive in, uh, that would be very helpful to them.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I think looking at things from this perspective and although on a certain level, like my deep hippie roots are like just you know my stomach is turning at the idea of like <laughs> oh my god knuckling under to the industry they are going to have their way with us uh. but on the other hand it's like this is reality folks and until That's you figure reality. out another way to feed the nation never mind the world you know uh this is what you got to deal with so i really appreciate you coming on this has been a very interesting talk i'd love to talk to you again so i hope you'll come back because can i um, make
2: a can i make a final comment yes sir please if we don't Do it this way, and we protract the debate. We will lose yet another generation of children to obesity and diabetes, etc. So, we as the adults have to force this change.
1: Thank you, sir. I think that's a powerful ending. All right. Well, thank you very much to my listeners. Thanks to my sponsor, Kane Winery. Next week we have Ted Conover and. Some of you may remember uh, his fantastic book, New Jack, which was about his um, undercover work in federal prisons as a guard. Uh, he also wrote a book about riding the rails with hobos. Um, and he has a new article out in Harper's Magazine this month uh, about his undercover work as a um, food inspector, I think a, an FDA inspector in a uh, slaughtering house in Nebraska, Which should be a very interesting chat. And uh, so I look forward to that. And uh, the week after that, we have Winona Houter is coming back from Food and Water Watch uh, to talk more about her wonderful book, Foodopoly. So thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks to my guest, Hank Cardello. And thanks to my sponsor, Kane Winery. See you next week, folks. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.